And when I did finish and I sat down in the chair, had expended every ounce of energy I could possibly expend, really interested in finding some liquids and some food to get, you know, some nourishment. And one of the RDs came over and, and said, oh, congratulations on, on winning the age group. And I was like, oh, who won the age group? Like I was looking around for the person because there was no way they were talking to me because that was just not a reality for me. And she said, no, 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 it was you. You won your age group. And so we had a good laugh in that moment. But yeah, that, that was a special finish line to cross to, to win an age group award, you know, in the male 40 to 49 category, which tends to be very competitive, especially at that race. Hello again and welcome to another episode of Running Tales, the podcast where we tell the extraordinary stories of everyday runners. My name's Craig Lewis and our guest this week is Jason Bahamundi. Now Jason is an ultra runner who lives by the motto, all gas, no brakes. But actually he only started running when he was voluntold that he was going to be doing a charity half marathon. Before that, Jason was a former high school athlete for whom running had been a punishment. But such was the extent to which he enjoyed that first race that he has now done several 100 milers and Ironman triathlons. His list of achievements includes finishing Western States, the Rocky Raccoon 100 miler numerous times and the Cockadunna 250 miler. Jason is also the founder of Run Try Bike magazine, which is devoted to celebrating the endurance lifestyle while expanding diversity and inclusivity in sport. But I started our conversation by asking Jason to answer a question he put to others on the No Limits Endurance Coaching website. On it, he said, raise your hand if you would have said that a Puerto Rican kid born in the Bronx and living in New York for 34 years would be a triathlete and ultra runner. If you raised your hand, he said, you're lying. So I asked him how that happened. I was a, a kid who played all the American sports growing up, football, basketball, baseball, and I always considered myself an athlete and running was always punishment in those sports, right? Do something wrong, go run. Um, and I, I got into college, got into the adult life working area, and then my uh, now ex-wife was working for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society at the time. And she essentially voluntold me that I was going to be training for a half marathon that LLS was going to be supporting. And it just started there. And I ran to the, I ran air quotes for those of you that are listening uh, to the track by my house and being an athlete, I was like, I can do this. And I ran one time around the track 400 meters and thought that the world was going to end and then I walked a quarter mile ran a quarter mile walked a quarter mile and I went home and I thought that was amazing and as the training continued on my desire to figure out what I could possibly do with my body continued to grow as well as bringing back the young teenager who played all these sports as a as an athlete was coming back to me as well and I was like man, I actually am an athlete again. And it just kept spiraling from there, half marathons to marathons to sprint triathlons to Ironman distance triathlons to ultra marathons. And the longest I've gone is uh, Cocodona a few years ago and 250 plus miles. It's interesting that you, you, you say that even though there was so much pain and struggle in that very first run, that you instantly almost caught caught the caught the bug despite not liking it when you were younger. Yeah, it was like walking back from the track to my house. It was this sense of accomplishment, like because again, as a kid, 
the punishment wasn't go run a mile. The punishment was go run 100 yards, go run around the bases, go run around the field. And now we're talking miles. And at that time, you typically associate miles with driving. I'm going to drive 200 miles. I got to drive 300 miles. Um, and now here I was actually moving my body for a mile. I have no idea how long it took, 15, 20 minutes, who knows. Um, but I was like, okay, one mile and now two miles. And then I started visualizing what does two miles look like from where I am today to two miles down the road? And then it became five miles and then 10 miles and um, met up with a group of people running. And those miles went by even faster than they were solo. And it just snowballed from there. And were you at that point, were you instantly, was it just the enjoyment of it or were you competitive with yourself? Were you thinking, oh, I love this running and I'm going to go into races and I'm going to win those races? Or was there, was there a bit of all of that involved? Uh, I I have a common phrase that people laugh at me about, but I hate losing more than I enjoy winning. And so it was a competitive thing. And it it wasn't always a competition against the people that I was running with because I was learning so much when I first got started. Um, I recall the, the lesson I was taught from the very beginning. The gentleman must have been in his, I'm going to say, 60s. He'd been running for decades and I was hunched over going up a hill and he was like, no, no, no. You know, you want to be more parallel to the ground as you're going up the hill because otherwise you're holding your weight up. And he just taught me this lesson. And so it wasn't competition against him or the people I was training with. It was a competition against myself. Okay. You did the first mile in whatever the time was again. I don't know. No idea. 12 minutes. Then it was, can you do 11 and a half? Can you do 11? And it just kept going from there. Um, and and setting those bars. Now, social media also sets bars for you, right? Like a good time at a half marathon is, you know, two hours or less, or at a marathon, it's four hours or less. And so I start competing in in that world against for myself against those times. And um, so it was always that way and not necessarily I'm going to go beat athlete X or I'm going to win the race. And was there a point where you realized, hey, actually, as well as um, not wanting to lose at this, as well as wanting to improve, I'm actually pretty good at this. <laughs> um, I think when I broke two hours at the half marathon distance, which I think was my the second time doing it, I was like, okay, maybe I have some talent for this. And then I ran my first marathon and got dealt a serious blow to, <laughs> to the ego because you know, at mile 17, 18, I look like the Tin Man where every muscle seized and it was really rough. But then you get back to training and you're like, okay, I want to do something to improve on that. And, and I did. And I, you know, I got faster. I ran like a 330 marathon. And so it just became one of those things where I was like, yeah, I'm actually not bad at this stuff. I actually enjoy it. Now, when I say that, I'm not at the front of the pack, you know, getting on podiums and, and winning events per se. But you know, I'm better than I thought I was going to be. And I think that was what was also really eye-opening. Yeah, it's always an interesting question when you sort of put to somebody that they're they're good in this sport because there's so many different layers of what, what good could be from someone just being able to finish 5K all the way up to yeah, Usain Bolt in 100 metres or Elliot Kipchoge in the marathon sort of thing. And, and there's, a, there's a hell of a lot of people at different levels in between that. But I, I guess what I'm you're sort of saying with that question is you you had the ability to go on and do marathons and do ultras because we get a bit blasé about it in the running world but there's so few people in the world who who can actually do that at all 
I just interviewed uh, a gentleman by the name of Razik Raouf, who writes the Running Sucks 101 uh, Substack. And he put it in such great perspective because he doesn't run marathons. He runs 5Ks and 10Ks. And he said one and a half percent of Americans have run a marathon in their lifetime, which is abnormal compared to the 98 and a half percent of us who haven't run a marathon. We're the normal ones is how he phrased it. And I thought it was really well said because it's the truth, right? We kind of lose focus because we're also insulating ourselves. Like the people we follow on social media are runners or endurance sports enthusiasts. And they're the ones running 5Ks, 10Ks. And we don't see the people that their hobby is chess or their hobby is playing the piano, right? And so we kind of lose sight of, of that in the grand scheme of things. But perspective is a heck of a thing when you when you start thinking about the, the things that you have done and the things that you have accomplished. It's amazing when you start to really consider what you do when you put on a pair of running shoes. Because I do this podcast, I'm, I'm sure you get it as well with what you do, which obviously we'll, we'll touch on in a bit. But I, I will sort of speak to people who've done 100 milers or they've run across continents or something ridiculous and so I kind of and I don't say this to sort of big up what I have done but I I kind of think of myself as extremely average and then I'll get people who uh, you know who the most they've done is a part run or people who don't run at all will go oh my god you've run marathons you've you've run a 50k that is ridiculous and I'm like well it's not really you should you should speak to the person I spoke to last week who's run across the whole of Africa (laughs) (laughs) Razik said it well too again I'm going to quote him again he said he said if Usain Bolt was in the room you wouldn't say oh you only ran 100 meters right like you would be enamored (laughs) by the fact that he ran 100 meters as fast as he does and it but it's so true and you're right we do run across it and it's one of the things that uh, I talk to the subjects of our interviews about is do the distance that makes you smile and makes you the happiest because then running will always be enjoyable so for me 5Ks and 10Ks hurt way, way, way too much for me to actually enjoy them. And so I'm going to go run the 50K, the 50 miler and the 100 miler. And I tell them I'm more of a candle than a match. And so that's why I gravitate towards those ends. Whereas you might enjoy the 5K and the 10K and that acute pain that comes from that distance because you're running as hard as you can um, for that distance. Whereas for me, 50 miler, Maybe I'm running 20 to 30 miles, depending on the terrain. And then I'm hiking the other 20 miles while eating snacks, right? Let's be honest. Yeah, I spoke to uh, uh, Denny Cray, who does the uh, Biz Runs podcast the other day. And he said exactly the same thing. He goes, I I love every distance apart from 5K. 5K is horrible. You just have to run really fast and it hurts. Yeah, I interviewed uh, with with Denny a while back. And it's the truth. Like I... I remember I was racing Ironman Texas and I was on the marathon course at the time and it's three loops. And the gentleman that I happened to be running next to at the time was on his third loop and he was thrilled. I was on my second loop and I was not thrilled. And I equated it to the 5k, like the first mile you go out and you're like, oh yeah, we got this. And then mile two, you're like, what am I doing here? And then mile three, you're like, okay, it's almost over. I can feel the finish line coming up. But that's what every 5K has always felt like to me. And that middle mile is always the hardest. You're like, good grief. When is the finish line going to show up? Well, away from the horror of the 5K, let's talk about some of the racing that you you have done. Because, I mean, there are the last I've been able to find, and this may be our date, is there's at least eight Ironmen uh, that have taken place and and several 
100 milers, in, including um, a Rocky Raccoon 100, uh, 100 times, five times, <laughs> and others were 100 times. That would have been quite the achievement. But but actually, on, on Rocky Raccoon, I wanted to talk to you about um, winning your age group category without even realising it. Yeah, that was a crazy day. Uh, I think I wound up finishing 12th overall at the event, and um, I had had this goal to run under 19 hours. Like, I didn't care where it put me on the finishing list. It was just a goal to run under 28 hours. And like I said earlier, I hate losing more than I hate winning. And I was told at my first Rocky Raccoon, I, I said, my goal is I want to run 24 hours. And uh, I forget the gentleman's name, but he was like, well, why don't you just try to keep up with the leaders if you're going to try to be under 24 hours? And I took it as a challenge. And I think I ran my first one in 20-ish hours. And so it was always a goal to get to that under 19 at that point. And during that race, you know, my my focus was so much on getting under 19 hours, get under 19 hours, get under 19 hours. Like I didn't care where I was on the list of the finishers. And when I did finish and I sat down in the chair, had expended every ounce of energy I could possibly expend really interested in finding some liquids and some food to get, you know, some nourishment. And one of the RDs came over and, and said, Oh, congratulations on, on winning the age group. And I was like, Oh, who won the age group? Like I was looking around for the person because there was no way they were talking to me. Cause that was just not a reality for me. And she said, no, 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 it was you, you won your age group. And so we had a good laugh in that moment, but yeah, that, that was a special finish line to cross to win an age group award you know, in the male 40 to 49 category, which tends to be very competitive, especially at that race. Definitely. I, I always find it's an interesting because I'm in that category as well. Not that I'm ever near the close the, the front of a field for anything, but but even down at, at, at Parkrun, as you as you go up from sort of the, your 30s into the 40s, the times actually get faster. <laughs> Why is that about? It's supposed to be getting supposed to be getting easier now. I, I'm interested in you talking about kind of almost the the pain of the ultras there, and you were kind enough to send me some pictures of yourself through in. In, in ultra action where which look very painful i think one of them you just slumped on the ground is that something that in a bizarre way you you enjoy about ultra running yeah absolutely so the it's adult pain at ultra running distances 100 milers and the, and the images i shared with you were, were from cocodona 250 so you're you know you're taking it took me 110 hours so four four and a half days i guess you know you got to take a nap whenever you can and, and so being keen aware of when you can take that recovery is important. But yeah, I think the idea of that, uh, that dull pain for me is what keeps me alive during the hundred milers. Um, even 50 milers, you're, you're going to find some, some pain. Um, I'm going to be racing Lake Sonoma in April of 2024 that I did a number of years ago and suffered some of the worst pain I've ever had at an ultra marathon because it was like 105, 106 degrees that day. But because it's such a long day, you have the opportunity to process and think and, and strategize about how you're going to deal with that pain. Whereas I don't find that you get that opportunity in like a 5K or a 10K run where it's like you literally just have to barrel through that pain as much as you can. Um, so I do think it, it kind of brings me to that ultra running component. And then I also think it's a part of life, right? You're running a podcast, you had a, a guest drop out and there's some pain in that moment. And you start trying to strategize, how do I solve this problem? And I think it's the same thing with ultra running. How do I solve this problem that I'm going through right now so that I can finish this race? Yeah, and and I think as well, somebody, I can't remember who it was, whether I read it somewhere, but but someone talked about if you, if you blow up in a 
5k race 10k race even a half marathon or a marathon you, you, your race might kind of be done that's it you, you you can finish you can finish in a good time but you're probably not going to go on and do what you you wanted to if you if you blow up in an ultra then quite a lot of the time particularly on the, the longer and longer it gets and you, you can recover you can still do the best you can ever do despite having an absolute nightmare halfway through and it's it's a unique event like that isn't it it absolutely is I, i've always said especially at rocky raccoon because it's a looped course the race at Rocky Raccoon, and really for any 100 miler, in my opinion, doesn't start until mile 60. And the reason I believe that is you've just done 100K, right? And there's a there's a whole sense of achievement. I've just finished 100K, and but you still have another 40 miles to go, right? You still have a you still have a long ways to go, and so you have to mentally process that. So if you do, you know, have an issue leading up to that 60 mile mark, you can overcome it because now other people are starting to figure out, do I want to keep going? And they may drop out, which moves you up the list. But you also have that time in your own if you're competing with yourself and for yourself in that moment to get to that finish line. And it's probably not going to cause you much difference between a 27-hour finish and a 28-hour finish, right? Nobody's like, hey, you didn't do so well. You finished in 28 hours instead of 27. They're going to pat you on the back and be like, I can't believe you went that far. And you're going to hear... I don't even like driving that far. So yeah, there's opportunities to recover in a, in a long ultra for sure. And how much do you think taking on those, those huge distances, taking on that pain can help people in, in their everyday lives? If, if you're facing adversity in that way, then, then the things that are thrown at you in life are perhaps less hard than they otherwise might be. You just, that's it. That's exactly it. You know, in today's um, world where you can go on any social media platform and find hack your way to success um, and, and people are like, well, if I just do these two things, I'll be a millionaire tomorrow. And that's just not the case. And so when you're doing uh, an ultra, you learn patience, you learn strategy, you learn how to pivot as well. Whereas if you had this idea, and I'll tell you a, a story at Cocodona, right? You were always focused on nutrition and hydration and everything else. And so I was loaded up with gels and blocks and everything else. Um, after a while, I started getting cold sores in my mouth. And now I still have to go, you know, 200 miles and I need nutrition. So in that moment, I have to pivot my strategy from gel taking to, and what I did was I made cold oatmeal mush. I would go to the aid station. They'd pour two packets of oatmeal in a Ziploc bag. I'd put some water in there, make it into mush, and then just squeeze it into my mouth as I went along. And it sounds gross and disgusting, but it helped fuel me. And I think that in life, when you come up against an obstacle, understanding that pivoting and changing strategy is acceptable, then it becomes easier to do that in real life as well as, opposed, as, well as at an ultra distance event. So how much has that helped you in... We'll come on to it now in what you, or at least one of the things you do, which is which is look after or, or run and found run try bike. How, how much does that sort of experience that you have from running help you when you're having to deal with those business challenges that you get? And, and I guess, first of all, probably if you could just explain what run try bike is for those people who don't know. Sure. In its simplest form, the vision and mission I started run try bike under is to be the voice of the everyday athlete by proving that there is a spot at the starting line for everybody and every body. And simply what we do is we tell stories. We interview athletes, race directors, business owners, coaches in the endurance sports space to tell their story. 
because we believe that if one person reads that story, they might be inspired and motivated to go on their own journey as well. And so to answer your question, I don't think I can calculate um, how much being an endurance athlete has helped me in the business world. When I launched the business, we were printing a physical magazine and shipping it out to about 200, 250 stores all across the United States. Um, and the expense for printing wasn't a problem, but the expense for shipping was. And so after about a year and a half into our business journey, we pivoted. We said, if we're going to continue to do this, we have to stop printing a physical magazine. And I had to call advertisers who, when they bought advertising from us, were buying a, a print magazine, um, which was nerve wracking. But they all thought it was a great idea. They were happy to be on board and conversations that we have now prove that that was the right decision to make. And so, you know, being an endurance athlete and again, having to pivot and change strategy all along the way and, and taking risks at certain times as well is also part of running a business. And I think that all of those things that they intertwine with each other these days. Yeah, 100%. It's fascinating how that resilience within running can can apply to, to life generally. I'm also... You know, I'm loving the the sort of ethos of of run try bike. It's it's very similar to what we try and promote on on running tails. But I suppose one question that that obviously comes into my mind is is you you talk about everyone, regardless of gender, race, sexual orientation, uh, physical ability, etc., should have a place on the starting line, and that's something I wholeheartedly agree with. But but one thing that I think is it's almost a shame that we have to say that, that that's just not something that happens, that it has to be said that that needs to happen. 100% agree. I can tell you about two years ago uh, during Pride Month, we had our first year and our second year in existence during Pride Month, we would change our header on our banner to the Pride flag. And we wanted to tell people, this is a welcome space for you as well. And after the second year when the when when the pride month was ending i thought to myself we're not taking that banner down because they in the community in the lgbtqia plus community don't stop being who they are because the month ended and so we have left it up there for the past few years so that they understand that they are welcome in our world we want to talk to them we want to share their stories we want to highlight them and so it just became part of who we are and we're prideful to talk about these instances. We're with people from all across the globe. Razik, perfect example again, uh, and he's just top of mind because I just talked to him on Monday, but he's from Bangladesh via London living in LA. And to me, that is just fantastic. And one of the things he said to me was South uh, Asians um, aren't a big community in the run, running community. We're actually a minority of the minority as well. And it was like eye-opening to hear that. And so I connected him with somebody else I had met who's also in the South Asian community. And that's the opportunity that we have is to be able to build those bridges to connect people to each other so that we can stop having to make those statements and and stop having to be forced, I guess, to let people know that they're welcome in our endurance sports events. Yeah, I mean, how, how inclusive a, a sport do you think running is? And perhaps specifically ultra running, because I mean, I love ultra running. I love the whole idea. I, I watch it, but you're not seeing too many people who are not, who, who are not, well, there's a lot more white women now, but 
men or women, it's it's generally white folks. You're not seeing many people of colour doing doing ultramarathons. I'm not sure why, but it, it seems to be the situation that we're in at the moment. I think it's more socioeconomic than it is just racial and gender equality in a way. People will always say, go run. It's a cheap sport. And that on its surface, sure, a pair of shoes, um, shirts and, and, a, and a pair of shorts, right? At, sure, sounds cost effective. But if you want to go to these events and you want to participate in these events, and this is not to tell race directors don't make a living because they have to, the expense starts to add up, right? A race entry, then nutrition, the gear you use during training adds up because it, you know, it gets um, used. And so you need to replace it. If you want to go to an event right now, you're talking about travel expenses. And so I think it's just the expense of it all more than anything else um, that has prevented people from participating in these sports. Not necessarily you're not welcome here um, from, from a color, skin color to um, sexual orientation. I think it's socioeconomic, but that being said, if we can continue to talk about these things and break down the, the gatekeeping that occurs in these sports, then I think you'll start to see more, uh, not necessarily a reduction in pricing, but a, a more equal footing in pricing because, and I say this simply because if we tell a person you're too large of a body to participate in running and they stop doing it altogether, right? Companies still have a business to run. They still have profits to make and revenue goals to hit and expenses to cover. So now if we had a, a population of 10 and we just told three people they can't be involved in it, now we have seven. If I have to hit that same number, I've got to charge you more. Now, if you tell somebody that they're running in you know, basketball sneakers, they shouldn't be running and they take that personally, like, well, I'm not going to participate. So you remove three more people. Now you're down to four and the race still has to cover costs. So now the cost is even more expensive. So if we can reduce the gatekeeping, we can increase the population participation, which may allow races to bring costs down or at least stabilize them as a whole. Yeah, definitely. And, and one thing on Run, Try, Bike that you've, I think, been really successful on in terms of your audience is attracting women to the product. I think I read somewhere that um, in terms of demographics, it's as many as six, as high as 65% of women, which is just generally in society, I think we're still, you know, there's still a, a, a gender equality problem in, in running and certain running events. It, 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 it exists throughout with, with men outnumbering women at, at races and so on, but you, you sort of seem to have flipped that round. And I'm just wondering how you've, how you've managed to do that. If, is there a magic formula? Yeah, I'm a mama's boy. I, I, <laughs> I've always been a mama's boy and I watched my mother, you know, for lack of a better phrase, not be treated equally in society. And I have a sister, right? I have aunts. I have a girlfriend. I have friends that are female. And it didn't make sense to me to for them to not have equal footing. It just didn't make sense to me. And so one of the goals out of the gate was, let's go talk to women. Like, let's get their voices heard so that there can be uh, exposure for them to brands and to events and vice versa, like um, bring a, brands and events to our platform so that they can see it and go and, and choose to participate in it. I did a podcast not that long ago. I'm a huge fan of the WNBA and I would prefer to watch WNBA games because I think it's a more um, beautiful game in the sense of teamwork versus the NBA. And so it's just always been that thing like 
women are equal. They can do just as much as we can, if not more. And so let's go talk directly to them. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's go talk directly to them, have them talk directly to us and then share their stories. Because if one woman's story can inspire one woman, I guarantee it's also inspiring one man to do something too. And so let's keep opening the platform so that they can share their voices and, and be heard. Yeah, and I guess a little bit similar to the question I asked before. Uh, obviously, you're doing that with, within within what you're doing, but but do you think running as a sport in general is 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 doing enough to encourage women to take part as things stand? I think women are doing more to change the sport. You know, we see trail sisters coming about. We see other organizations coming about that are putting. The women have said, I've had enough of you guys trying this. We're going to do it on our own and show you how to do it. And they're doing it really well. Sarah Goss at Feisty Media in the triathlon space, which has actually expanded beyond triathlon nowadays, is a testament to, you know, hey, we have a voice and we're going to show you how to do it. And so they've gone out and done it. And I think that that has also lent sort of a removal of the barrier for others to follow in their footsteps and get out there and start talking more often and doing things. Kira Henninger, who has her own race um, series out on the West coast is proof that, you know, women can run very successful uh, race series and be very popular at it as well. And so I think that they didn't wait for the men to say, Hey, let's help you. They said, we don't need your help. We're going to do it on our own. And, I, and it's been fantastic to see. So I think we're going to see that movement happen really fast or faster, pick up more and more momentum as we go along. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's been great for the sport is the way that really, really talented women runners have have put two fingers up at men and said, actually, we're, we're not just as good as you, we're, we're, we're better. When you look at Jasmine Paris and Camille Heron and Courtney Dower and people like that, and they're not just going out there and doing brilliantly and smashing women's times and other and beating other women they're, they're going out there and they're, they're winning races in their own right yeah it's fantastic I, I i mean you know when 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 i would be racing uh earlier in my 40s you know if if i could i would always say if i could somehow be within a top 10 female group i'd consider that a successful day because how fast they were like I, I was like man I want to you know compete at that level because of how fast they were moving and it was always amazing to me to see how well um, they were doing on the trails and, and at Ironman events too and it always bothered me that they didn't get the recognition even to this day some of the things we see in the news like I think it was the New York Times headline after the New York City Marathon didn't even talk about the fact that the women's race was what decided by about 400 meters or so. And it's <laughs> like, that that should be the lead story. I got, I get it that records were broken, but this was an uber competitive event than any other world in sports, right? It, the, when the Patriots beat the Falcons it, with a last second field goal, that was the, the story of how competitive the game was. Not that Tom Brady threw for a record number of passing yards. In this same scenario, all of a sudden, this uber competitive race got no coverage in the New York Times, one of the, the leading publications in the world, not just in New York City. And so I, I think there's still room for improvement there. But yeah, like the women are doing amazing things and we just need to talk about it more. Yeah, Michelle and I watched that, watched that race. And uh, I mean, I think coming into 
what was it the last 10k there was there were still 13 women in with a chance of winning winning and that's just oh you never see that normally the break is way way earlier than that and you have one or two like what happened in the men's race and I mean fair play what a brilliant run that was but but yeah to get it down to that and then to still have four coming into the, I think it was four in the last mile and two in like you say the last 500 meters that is uh, that's a that's a proper race and you don't normally get actual sort of almost sprint finishes and races like that in marathons so it was an incredible race it was amazing and, and one of the things I, I think about because i'm in the media world i've been in media for 30 years i've I bought and sell sold television radio magazine advertising um is we often talk about coverage and why don't why don't major media outlets cover these sports and, and there's a whole point behind this i can make but when you have that moment, you have to capture it. <laughs> like you have to let the world know, like, look at what's happening here. If that was a, if there was a 400 meter event on a track, that would have been covered brilliantly. Right now, take it and expand it to 26 plus miles. And now we're down to 400, 500 meters. Like that's a story in itself that, that we need to do better at covering and talking about. Definitely. We're hundred percent. Well, let's hope, uh, let's hope people do get, better at that sort of thing and i know that's certainly something that you're trying to do at uh at run try bike just just to finish off jason I, I wonder what's next personally for you what's on your target what races have you got coming up yeah so i will be i'm actually competing i don't know when you're broadcasting this but i'll be competing on saturday um after that i will be uh going to across the years participating in a last person standing event um, this one's a little bit different. It's one mile every 15 minutes versus the four-ish miles every hour. So we'll see how that goes. That's in Phoenix, uh, Arizona at Aravipa's Across the Years event. And then racing Lake Sonoma 50 in April. And then right now, penciled in on the schedule is Oregon 200 and the uh, Ironman 70.3 Tri-Cities um, later in the year. So some events, some big events coming up and and uh, pretty excited to to get my competition legs back under me again. Oh, fantastic. Well, I wish you all the all the very best with those uh, with those races coming up. I think anyone who does backyard ultra style things <laughs> deserves all the luck they can get because having seen the bigs one and bits of that, oh, it's just incredible. But uh, yeah, best of luck with it. Uh, best of luck with your continued fantastic work at, at Run, Try, Bike. And thank you so much for joining me today on, on the Running Tales podcast. I appreciate your time, Craig. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Jason Bahamundi for joining me on this week's Running Tales podcast. I really enjoyed my chat with Jason. Lots to talk about there, including some really interesting points about women in running and inclusivity in running. I definitely advise you all to check out Run, Try, Bike, a really similar ethos to what we have on Running Tales and some really, really interesting stories from the world of running. If you enjoyed this week's conversation, if you enjoy what we do on Running Tales, please do give us a positive rating or review wherever you listen to the podcast. It does help other people to find us and to hear fantastic stories like Jason. We're also on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we are on YouTube where you can listen to the full podcast and snippets from it. So thank you again so much for joining us on this week's Running Tales podcast and I'll see you again next week.